Hello, and welcome to FIA's Market Voice podcast. I'm Walt Lucan, FIA's president and CEO. Today, I'm joined by Verena Ross, the chair of the European Securities and Markets Authority, or ESMA, as it's known. Verena was appointed to the top role in this key European regulator in November after serving 10 years as ESMA's executive director. That experience has armed her with an in-depth knowledge of European and global capital markets, but also a familiarity with ESMA staff and its processes, and both have proven incredibly important in 2022 amid a series of challenges and volatility in markets around the globe. Verena, it's wonderful to welcome you here to Washington uh, for this podcast. Thanks very much, Walt, and uh, very happy to be here and be able to talk to you about a whole range of different issues. Well, you were formally named uh, chair of ESMA in November, as we've mentioned, uh, almost a year now. It's been quite a journey, right? Um, you, you were put in that role during a very volatile time in our markets. Um, tell us a little bit about that journey, how you got to the position. Also interested in how this role is different than your executive director role with ESMA. No, it was definitely an interesting time to be uh, getting into the chair role at the European Securities and Markets Authority. Um, in some ways, the fact that I had been part of building the organization over the last decade from 2011 onwards clearly helped because I knew the organization, its staff, as you say, but also some of the key interlocutors. And so I was quite familiar with some of the issues and topics and also had lived through a number of different financial market crises, which definitely was an experience which came in very handy when quickly after I was appointed, we had the um, intensification of the Russian uh, aggression and finally invasion of, of Ukraine. And that had quite significant impact on the financial markets. And so it was definitely helpful to have had the experience of working through some of these crises before. At the same time, it's a very different role. The executive director role is very much the role of day-to-day -day management of the organization. As the chair, I'm quite removed from that. Uh, my successor, Natasha Kaznav, has stepped fantastically into those shoes and is running the organization very effectively. I'm now focused much more on chairing, obviously, the ESMA boards and uh, thinking more strategically about where the organization needs to go forward. And I just launched on Monday a new five-year strategy for ESMA. But I think what it also means is that I'm far more engaged in the uh, representational role, making sure that ESMA has its voice uh, in Europe, but also internationally. I do a lot of the international work in the FSB and IOSCO. And uh, that is great. It's a very different role, but I enjoy it a lot. And I think it's wonderful to be able to outreach to the wider community of uh, financial markets, regulators, public authorities, and explaining what ESMA is there to do. And does that involve also more engagement with the EU um, policymakers and the European Commission? And um, is that something you're doing more of now to, as, the, as sort of the face of ESMA? Definitely. It involves uh, both kind of formal accountability to the European Parliament and the Council, obviously very close interlinkage with the, the Commission, and also looking at the recent crisis, for example, on some of the energy markets. It has meant, you know, sitting in some of the uh, 
committees deciding on how to now deal with these type of issues that are really creating such an energy crisis in the European Union and looking at that and giving technical advice and support from the financial supervisor's perspective. Well, we want to get to the energy crisis here in a bit, but you mentioned the strategic priorities that ESMA published and that you were part of shaping uh, that came out this week. Um, walk us through a bit of some of the big buckets of priorities that you plan to. This is a five-year plan, is my understanding, uh, that you are trying to tackle as the chair. Yes, and it's very much building on what ESMA has achieved over the last decade and really trying to set the tone for this decade, uh, for the next five years, looking at the challenges that are there in the external environment in which we operate as the Europe's securities markets regulator and supervisor. And here we really focus on three core priorities. One is um, enhancing and helping to develop effective financial markets and promoting financial stability in these markets. The second core priority is uh, protecting retail investors and helping them to engage in the financial market in a safe environment. And all of that being supported by enhancing the quality and effectiveness of supervision, whether that supervision is done like in some specific areas at the European level by ESMA itself, where we clearly have ambition to be a very effective, risk-based, outcome-focused and data-driven supervisor, but also to enable European supervision as a whole, when it's done at the national level by the 27 national competent authorities, to be effective, to make sure that we have a common approach, how we deal with issues, identify the key risks for the European markets, and then take coordinated and common action to, to tackle that. Those are the three core priorities. And then underlying that and cutting across all three of them are the uh, thematic drivers of sustainability, sustainable finance. How can we make sure that as an organization across all our activities, we support this very important dynamic? And secondly, a thematic driver on technological innovation and the use of data, because we're all faced with increasing technological developments, which we need to see both as an opportunity and as a challenge, making sure that we have the right regulatory framework, but we also exploit what data and technology can do for us as a supervisor. It must be fascinating because, you know, you were also at the FSA earlier in your career, and, you know, it, it was sort of the big bang in the 80s and its development over time, and you were part of that development. Was that one of the, the challenges and the excitement of taking on this role is being able to grow ESMA to, uh, like you said, a, a better, stronger, safer markets in Europe? Um, I'm just curious, is that your prior experience helping you with this development? Certainly, I see my career very much as a kind of continuum. So I think being able to bring into the organization the experience that I've gained over the years of regulating financial markets in general, and also being able to bring in the experience of working at an international and global level on some of those topics, I think is really helpful. Now, looking at specifically for the last 11 years, I've uh, worked in the European Union and clearly also the split 
of the UK away from the European Union had a big impact on the financial markets in Europe. And so for us in the European Union, what is very important is that we really concentrate on building effective and strong capital markets for the Union, for the single market in Europe. And that is something which I very strongly support and where I think we need to bring a lot of our expertise and commitment to bear as ESMA. And I'm very confident of the expertise and the uh, commitment of the staff of ESMA to try to drive that forward and providing the right technical support and advice also to the policymakers on making the right choices in that way. And I read the strategic plan. It talks a lot about your partnership with the national competent authorities and how you work in tandem with them to, to build those, those strong markets. Do you see that relationship changing over time during this five-year period? Or is it's, you know, that may be different people who set that agenda. But I'm just curious, um, you know, or is that something that is that partnership just continues to grow and strengthen as it is? Definitely, I see the partnership as something that will continue to grow and strengthen. It's already a very strong mutual kind of ESMA family that is right. trying together to make sure that the European capital markets are well regulated, but also well and effectively supervised. And part of that is setting the right regulatory framework that goes beyond what is set at the highest political level in, in what we call level one legislation, but actually bringing that down to the practical implementation in 27 different member states with different yeah. legal environments, with different um, market structures, with different cultures of investing and engaging in capital markets. And so this is an ongoing journey, which will take time. It's not something that will kind of click into place overnight, but I think it's something that's really worthwhile working for. And here, the partnership with the national authorities is absolutely essential. They obviously sit on the ESMA board. They're the decisions makers, the ultimate governance mechanism of the organization. But at the same time, they're responsible in their national markets to making sure that they um, keep their markets safe and protect investors in that context. And so it's very much a kind of mutual a partnership, which is extremely important for us. And it, ESMA as an organization is only able to function with the goodwill and support of the national authorities. And at the same time, we need to watch sometimes also to make sure that the national authorities are doing their job to right. the best of their ability. So it's a, it's a really mutually beneficial relationship. That's amazing. Uh, I do want to go back to the energy crisis that we, we touched on. Um, we were in and the FIA board was was in Paris and Brussels recently, and, and we stopped in to see ESMA and so I got to see you. Um, but I was amazed as a, an American going to Europe, how front and center the energy crisis is in everybody's daily lives, you know, with the war being only as uh, Stefan Bujna from Euronex told us, um, you know, two hours away. Um, and so, you know, we, we got to talk to the ESMA staff, but also policymakers about how do we make sure markets are functioning properly, that they're discovering prices, that they're orderly. Um, and so I know that ESMA has been asked for advice on this as well. Walk us through how you're working with the commission on making sure that our markets are working properly, uh, but also making sure that we're not seeing fraud and abuse in the energy markets or people who are trying to take advantage of the situation. So what we've seen is clearly the um, the aggressive invasion of Russia and Ukraine had implications 
beyond purely the um, economic and financial market conditions. It has really had an effect on people on the ground, including the refugee crisis that it has caused in some of the Central and Eastern European countries. What we have focused on as a financial services regulator is very much looking at the energy markets, which have been had quite a shock on the basis of these geopolitical developments. And um, that has included looking particularly at some of the volatility in the markets that has played through from the trading venues into the clearing systems, the fact that a lot of collateral was being demanded and some of the non-financial companies having real difficulty meeting those liquidity demands. And as a result, we have done a number of different things. You mentioned already the market surveillance work that we are actively doing Actually, it's the national supervisors on the ground that are spending a lot of time monitoring markets, making sure that they follow up on any potential market manipulation or abuse uh, um, allegations. And at the same time, it's also looking at how did the markets work in this particular incidence um, at the end of August in particular, where we saw these very volatile and stressed market conditions. And there we are um, looking at a number of different issues. One is indeed the question of how has collateral worked in this particular instance? Has there been um, transparency about the margin calls? Is it clear that um, all the possibilities for collateral to be used has been properly uh, exploited? The issue that we see is that we also need to be very careful not to import the volatility and stress of the energy markets, the underlying markets, right. into the financial markets and potentially start creating risk in the financial markets. And in the financial infrastructure that we've spent so much time after the global financial crisis trying to make safe and uh, effective. So that is one area that we are looking at. The other area that we've looked at is um, how can we make sure that the volatility in the market is um, a proper expression of how prices are developing in the market and not just a panic situation. Right. So we're looking at should we have possibility for some circuit breakers or trading holes in the system and has that worked properly? There are already legislative provisions in, the ca in this case, but has that actually been applied properly on the ground or is yeah. there more that we need to look at also on a cross-European basis? And then um, there are a couple of other issues around actually the ability of national supervisors and the European level to see properly what's going on in the markets, in the underlying markets, and being able to see potential concentration risks building up and making sure that we also have a proper price formation mechanism that works. And finally, um, also looking at some of the players some of the energy companies that actually have been very active in some of these markets, really competing with some of the financial market players, but not being subject to a similar regulatory framework. And is that right? Do we need to look again at those um, boundaries? Well, I thought the, the letter that you the, gave advice to the commission was incredibly thoughtful. And um, so I, I was impressed because there are, there are lots of tools already in the markets that can be utilized to make sure to all the points that you said. So um, I thought it was a very well done letter. Um, I did want to get back to the green economy and one of your strategic priorities uh, or strategic themes. 
um, is making sure that you continue to support the transition to a carbon neutral economy in Europe. Um, tell us a little bit about what that looks like in practice and how, how, are, how can ESMA help in that, that journey over the next five years? As I said earlier, it's a big and important priority for us um, across all of our activities. Um, maybe I start with the more regulatory, building the regulatory framework. So we've seen a lot of political ambitions in this area to really help get the financial market to help the transition to a more sustainable economy. And as part of that, we've, looked, we've seen the taxonomy regulation, we've seen various pieces of regulation coming through. What is clear is that there's a lot of ambition, a lot of uh, things happening at the same time, which is fantastic, but we also need to make sure that there's time for that regulation properly to embed itself. And some of the timing is also not ideal because, for example, we are now finalizing the legislative proposals for, or actually they have been finalized just before the summer, the corporate sustainability disclosure regulation that will really set the basis on which companies will have to report in future on their sustainability profile. But even before that, we started with some regulatory requirements around disclosure of products and their sustainability characteristics through the SFDR. And in a way, you would have ideally wanted to do it the other way around. You yeah. would have started with the underlying data to then build on. So there's a bit of, you know, growing pain that we are going through at the moment where there's a lot of demand uh, to ESMA to provide further guidance, making sure that, you know, both the companies that actually have to do the reporting, have to explain what they're doing, um, are clear what is required of them, but also that the information comes in a format and a, um, a in enabling investors to actually look at this information in a way that allows them to use financial markets information to make deliberate choices about how they want to engage in the sustainability transition themselves. And to my mind, that is one of the key areas where ESMA still needs to do a lot of work, uh, looking at avoiding and mitigating potential greenwashing, right. making sure that we actually collectively with the national competent authorities, make sure that there's trust of investors in the financial markets really embracing this idea of sustainable finance and making sure that the information that investors need is there in a comprehensible, simple and comparable format. And I'm just curious, I know there are market regulators around the globe that have set up departments within the agencies to to tackle this. They have sustainability offices or what, mm. whatever. I'm just curious whether ESMA has done that or whether they're utilizing, like you said, it's a cross-market issue or whether they're choosing the expertise within ESMA. And also, as a follow-up question, I'm just wondering whether you're going to COP27 in Egypt in a, a couple of weeks. So we definitely have already over the last few years, we've built up certain expertise within ESMA. We've also hired some expert into the organization where we were able to. Yeah. And we've built it up uh, very much as a center of expertise that is also utilizing the expertise 
and growing through capability, training and, and support, also the expertise across the whole organization yeah. in these topics. So it's very much a, uh, it's one of our priorities under our sustainability, uh, sustainable finance roadmap is capacity building and training, not just at ESMA, but also for the relevant supervisors in the national authorities, because we all together need to get a lot better in understanding what is sometimes quite technically complex um, uh, matters and making sure that we actually are able to properly regulate and supervise that going forward. And as part of that, we are also engaged in a lot of the international work. And so one of the areas that indeed might make me go to COP27 is the work that I'm co-chairing with Russ Benham from the CFTC on carbon markets. And that is a topic which will come up in Egypt. And uh, at the moment, I think they're still looking as to whether there's a role for us and I to play in that debate on how should actually carbon markets, both compliance and voluntary carbon markets develop going forward. And so that is work that IOSCO is doing. And maybe just to add on that, I think the whole sustainability agenda is clearly and global agenda to my mind. It's a global problem that needs global solutions. And so international alignment, working with other supervisors and regulators, including SEC and CFTC here in the US, but also through IOSCO, FSB and others, working on the International Sustainability Standards Board to make sure that we have aligned standards that actually talk to each other and which we collectively can build on is very important. Well, we've been, uh, FIA has been a part of Mark Carney um, at the UN, his initiative on scaling voluntary Mm -hmm. carbon markets. And um, we also agree that, you know, making sure we have the right terminology and the right standards, it's just going to allow the markets hopefully to to grow in this area. Um, You know, I oftentimes talk about the hot topics as the three C's. We've already talked about, um, you know, commodities. Um, uh, We've already talked about um, you know, the, the, the carbon agenda, but the third C is always crypto. <laughs> it comes up. Um, and that this is a hot topic, uh, you know, globally, but I'm just curious. I know that Europe is a bit ahead of the United States and trying to put together a regulatory framework around digital assets. And you have the markets and crypto assets regulation or Mika as it's known. I'm just curious how ESMA is involving itself with the implementation of that legislation and where do you see that going going forward? We have certainly, as ESMA, engaged for quite some time now on looking at the challenges that are coming with the new crypto assets, which are becoming far more prominent and which have uh, at the moment in particular posed challenges for us as supervisors and regulators in terms of the investor protection mandate that we have. Because what we've seen is that, particularly with people having a bit more time and a bit more savings maybe during the pandemic, uh, there there has been a huge boost of the crypto market. And that has um, obviously been something which we've watched with quite some attention, uh, particularly since some of the advertising around that, some of the Uh, marketing has been extremely aggressive and often not explaining well to retail investors the risks that are associated with these type of instruments and actually that they are not currently regulated and therefore that 
they were exposed to quite some risks uh, in losing all their money and uh, not finding anyone who will be able to compensate them. So this is something which we've warned on uh, quite early on. And uh, now we have a legislative proposal that is coming through um, in Europe, which I think will help us to create a common baseline across Europe for these crypto assets. It's not an easy area to legislate for. And some of the um, drafts which are now coming to the end of the legislative negotiations clearly were created a while ago while the market has continued to develop. So we will have a challenge in um, how we can now make this um, implemented in the most effective way. But we're very positive that it's good to have a common European framework uh, in place that deals with those crypto assets which are not necessarily financial instruments, creates more of a level playing field, creates some ability to deal with um, crypto asset providers that are not following the basic requirements that Mika poses. And I think it will help us as ESMA as well through providing us a role of making sure that we uh, issue opinions on particular crypto assets and where they fall within the regulatory regime. It will require us to work with the national competent authorities to uh, actually uh, ensure that the supervision of crypto asset service providers is uh, commonly implemented across the European Union. And we will work very closely with our banking uh, European authorities, the EBA as well, on the issue of stable coins and, and all of that. So there are a number of different parts to this picture, which we will be very engaged on over the next years. Well, and the Financial Stability Oversight Council here in the United States just came out with a report, and I, I read it on a plane. It's 140 pages of, of interesting data. But, um, you know, there is a lot of skepticism out there. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that, but there is a lot of work that needs to be done to make sure these markets are better regulated. Um, but there's also a part of the regulatory apparatus that wants to promote these products and innovation. I'm just curious, how how do you, as you know, you're paid to be skeptical, you know, as the head of the, the regulatory authority in Europe, um, but also there's an aspect of, of innovation and technology that is intriguing that may benefit citizens around the globe in the years to come. So how do you balance those two things that allow these products to grow? That is exactly the challenge of finding the right balance between, on the one hand, seeing the positive that innovation can bring. And let me just give an example. I mean, as a retail investor, the ability to actually um, have digital engagement with the financial markets, you know, being able to get data and information, being able to uh, get information in a digital format rather than re being sent, you know, a, kind of perspectives of hundreds of pages, you know, in a quick, easy way, being able to compare things. All of that are huge opportunities. Also, some of the disintermediation, you know, yeah. a lot of the costs in the financial system are actually through the intermediation process. Cutting some of that might well have benefits yeah. for the end investor. At the same time, all of that also entails risks, which we need to, as regulators, be very conscious of. And that's where I come back to the core role as a regulator and supervisor is to be risk conscious and to try to make sure that we ultimately protect both the retail investor, but also the effective markets and financial stability. And I think that is an area which where we've seen also over the last 
um, months and years more and more of an interaction between the crypto market and the mainstream um, financial markets, which will only grow, I think, over the next few years. And I think that is also something that we need to watch as public authorities more generally. Well, Verena, as we wrap up our, our talk today, um, we've known each other, you know, 20-ish years or so. Um, and I was just commenting off offline with you that yeah, I've just been amazed at your career path over over the years, um, you know, as, as you've taken on the role of executive director and now chair of ESMA and helping to build the, the regulatory authority in Europe. It's just an amazing time to be in your role. Uh, I'm just curious, do you ever have time to sort of reflect on your path? And also, if you're giving advice to a young person who let's think about the Verena Ross 20 years ago, what, what advice would you give yourself as, as they enter their career? I have uh, enjoyed um, the opportunities that I've had and uh, I'm very grateful for the exciting times that I've been able to live through. And it's not only a Chinese proverb, but I mean, living in interesting times can also be a real positive challenge, I think, and has allowed me to really see things uh, that have allowed me to grow. Um, if I look back, I think I always felt that it was important just to um, grasp the opportunities that are there. So for example, for me, the idea of the creation of a European financial markets regulator and the opportunity to move into that and build it from scratch was such a fantastic opportunity. And it has been a wonderful experience with the colleagues in ESMA to go through that last decade um, in, uh, of building the European supervisor. And so I'm looking forward to continuing that path. And uh, I think it's something that um, any um, person who you know feels strongly about uh, the public sector ethic of, you know, you, trying to do something that actually helps society and economy um, more broadly is um, a fascinating uh, thing to do. And I've certainly enjoyed every minute of it. Well, it's been a pleasure um, talking with you today. And I know we're grateful that you are in this role and giving back to the public, um, you know, in this capacity. So thank you so much for being a part of this and being a part of Market Voice today. Thank you very much, Walt. It was a pleasure. This podcast is intended for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide investment, tax, business, legal, or professional advice to any individual or entity. Unless specifically stated otherwise, neither FIA nor its members endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, opinion, product, process, service, individual, or entity presented or mentioned in this podcast. FIA makes no representations, warranties, or guarantees as to the accuracy or completeness of any of the podcast content. Reliance on the podcast contents is done at your own risk. FIA disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special of consequential damages arising out of any use of, reference to, reliance on, or inability to use this podcast or its contents. Any commercial use, resale, or redistribution of this podcast without the FIA's express written consent is prohibited. Copyright 2022 FIA. All rights reserved. For more information, visit FIA.org.